Welcome to Put Back on SNY.TV. I'm Ian Begley, SNY's NBA insider, and the Put Back is available on all of our digital channels. We're here to talk Knicks and the NBA. We got two great guests today to do it with us. We've got Eddie Johnson, longtime NBA veteran, longtime Phoenix Suns radio analyst, and longtime SiriusXM NBA radio analyst. Great show with Justin Termini on SiriusXM NBA Radio. You got to check that out. Those guys have fun. We also have Keith Pompey, Philadelphia Inquirer. He's been covering the Sixers for a very long time, so we're excited to get him on. We're going to get into the Knicks, the Atlantic Division, the East as a whole, Julius Randle, Joel Embiid. We're doing it all, but we're going to start with the baseline because last night the New York Knicks lost at home to the Phoenix Suns, Devin Booker, tremendous shot at the end of the game. Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett defending him. He hits a fadeaway three to win the game. Eddie, what did you think about the way the Knicks defended that shot? Well, again, I'm, I'm one of those guys. I'm not an analytical guy. And I think, you know, to me, a three-point shot is the most difficult shot to make. Uh, yeah, do you have a lot of confidence in it? Of course you do in the first three and a half quarters. But late in the game, you really don't. And you see a lot of guys, when they shoot it at the end of the game, they don't too much make them. And so for me, they forced Devin Booker into the toughest shot he can take. I mean, you both know that, you know, Devin Booker is one of the best mid-range game players in the league. And so he would rather have gotten to the mid-range and taken that shot. Devin, for the most part of his career, his game-winning attempts, are normally inside the three. By the way, he only made one three all night, and it was the last one, even though he is a tremendous three-point shooter. So I thought they forced him into the toughest shot he could take. Unfortunately for them, that dude right there, he's unreal. I I mean, I think people are seeing it now. They challenged him that he couldn't play point guard. The guy's flirting with 10 assists every night. Uh, he is just a tremendous basketball player. And it's good that people are getting a chance to see him. And they saw him last night on the big stage. I mean, he was fantastic. No Bradley Beal, no Kevin Durant. He controlled the game all night. Keith, when you look at these Knicks so far, and you know your team inside and out, how do you think Philadelphia views New York as a threat in the East? Where do you think they see the Knicks in the landscape of things? You know, it's one of those things when you look at when you, the Sixers, they look at, of course, the Boston Celtics as that team, right, and, and and the Milwaukee Bucks. But at the same time, I think they have respect for the for the Knicks. You know, I, I know the Sixers have had a lot of success against them. But when you look at the Knicks, they have Jalen Brunson. They have a, a, a lot of young guys who can get out there and go. And, you know, they're one of those teams, if you're, if you're not careful, you could go up there and you can just get a loss. So, I mean, I don't think that the Sixers are saying, okay, well, the Knicks are going to come out of the East. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of respect there with the, with, with the team and their defense. And, but Brunson is just a really good player that you have to um, be aware, at least, of what he's going to do. Eddie, you've been obviously playing in the league for a long time, following the league for a long time, following the Knicks for a long time. Where they are today – where do you view them in the hierarchy of the East? And what do you think in general about what Leon Rose and this group has done? Well, I think they've done a tremendous job based on where they started from and not being overly aggressive as Knicks teams have been in the past to just try to fix it and make it right. 
I think they've been patient, uh, without a doubt. They've had their downfalls. Uh, but I, I truly believe that any night they step on the court, they have a chance to win because they play hard. They play hard. They try to defend. It seems like they get along as a team. Uh, so they're dangerous out. I mean, I think, obviously, when you go in there without Kevin Durant like we did last night and no Bradley Bill, uh, you have to think that maybe, you know, they would hand it to us. Uh, but, you know, they've had their tough stretches, and I think a lot of their tough stretches, and I don't know if Keith would agree with me here, you know, he mentioned Brunson, and Brunson is a tremendous player. But when Brunson was going off in the first half, they were down double figures. When Randall turned it on in the third quarter, they went ahead. Mm-hmm. And I'll still say it till I'm blue in the face. And I know people push back on me on who's the better player on that team and all of that. I think Brunson is the better scorer. I think he's big time in the fourth quarter. That's what he does. They're not winning unless Julius Randall plays well. Uh, he, he normally leads them in rebounding, and he leads them in assists. So for me – you know, I felt going in that game last night that as long as we kept Randall quiet, we had a chance. And then he got hot in the third quarter, and all of a sudden it energized them, and they were able to get back in the game. Now, if I'm Justin Termini, I'm going crazy when I hear that because I, I saw that, that take of yours uh, a few days ago, and he didn't like it. For me, I agree. I think that the, the bellwether for this Nick team is Julius Randall. I think the the more uh, consistent, important player is Jalen Brunson. But if you want to th- know if the Knicks are going to play well on a particularly night or they're going to struggle, you look at Julius Randall and how he is. Is he engaged? Is he making shots? What does he look like? He is the X factor for them. But Eddie, you watched that Phoenix game last night. Did what did you see from Randall? Because I think. Early on, it, it didn't seem like he was fully engaged each and every possession. Then the third quarter, he comes out and he dominates. What did you see from over the course of 48 minutes? Yeah, I mean, he's been one of my favorites since he's come in the league. And in college, obviously, they used to call him that tornado, right, where he just abused yeah. people in the paint. I think analytics has gotten him away from it, uh, and he's given into it. A lot of players in the league that have not given into it, right? Uh, Devin Book hasn't given into it. Kevin Durant, DeMar DeRozan. You can go on and so forth. Uh, even uh, even the Lakers thought Anthony Davis would take six threes, right? Darvin Ham said he wanted Anthony Davis to take six threes. He's only taking about one a game. It is not a shot you want to take if you can't develop rhythm. And I think the biggest problem for Julius Randle is he lives with that three too much. And when he got in the paint last night, you saw what happened. He just abused people. He's one of the strongest players in the league. Why on earth would you defer to something that you're not that great at and away from something that you are great at? And, and that, to me, baffles me with him. But I will still say it's him, and it's a combination of people saying it's okay for him to shoot it. And I think that's an issue. Keith, when the, the Sixers match up against Randall, I think he's had some big nights against them, but maybe he's been uneven. How do you think they view Randall in the hierarchy of Nick players? Well, you know, uh, well, I, I think in the hierarchy of Knicks, play, Knicks player, like when we talk about Jalen Brunson is, is the point guard, right, the straw. I mean, I, I think Julius Randle is the guy you have to stop. You know, I mean, I agree 100 with you guys. But also, I, I think the thing about Julius Randle is about how he feeling at the time. Because I, I feel like, you know, he's a guy, you compare him to Tobias Harris, right? They both play the same position. 
But at the same time, Julius Randle is more important to the Knicks' success than than Tobias Harris is. But there are times where I feel like, you know, Julius, if he's not getting the ball, if he's not doing this, he's not doing that, then his game may suffer a little bit with mentality. But as far as the hierarchy, you have to stop him if you're going to stop um, the the Knicks. And when you look at him, as like, you know, you look at the games that he played particularly well against, they've had a lot of success. Now, of course, that you look at Brunson, a lot of times he's the leading scorer, but when you really need to get a bucket, you got to go through Julius Randle. So, yeah, I mean, you got to stop him, and, and that's how the Sixers view it. You have to stop him. But sometimes I feel like he stops himself, unfortunately. Uh, Eddie, Julius, I think he takes a lot of heat from Nick fans. You hear right. it on game nights in the home arena. If you pay attention to social media, you see it there too. How, in your experience, how does a guy like that handle that? Does it hurt him? Does it help him? Does it just depend on his makeup? And how do you see Julius handling that? I played with a lot of big guys. And as you all know, I took a lot of damn shots. And you could have. the one thing that I learned <laughs> is that you got to appease these guys. Because if you don't, one, they're not going to protect you. Okay, because I'm running off screens. They're going to knock the heck out of me. And they did knock the heck out of me. So I got to I gotta know that they're going to protect me. I got to, too, know that they're going to energize our team by rebounding. Okay? And big guys, notoriously, I don't care who they were, if we don't get them the ball, uh, other parts of their game tend to go away. Now, Julius Randle might go ahead and get 10 in the sleep, rebounds. But he probably can get 15 if he's energized. And I think sometimes we want to be critical of a player and keep calling out their negativity instead of trying to figure out the source of why they go south and then how to keep them balanced. And you know whose responsibility that is? It's Jalen Brunson. It's his responsibility. Like, if you're going to have the ball and you're going to be the point guard, you have to recognize that. And stop, like, going after the result of Julius Randle. We know he's polarizing. We know he can get an attitude. We know he can go south. What are you going to do to stop him from going south? Because ultimately, you want to win. You want that W. So how do you get this guy to stay in tune? Give him the damn ball early. Let him get into a groove. All those things come into play. And I think that's one of the parts of Brunson that's not consistent. And, and I think that's one of the challenges that they have. In, in terms of just distributing the ball and, and, and looking for Julius, and, and are you saying that Jalen maybe looks for his own shot first? Is that is that what you're seeing? No, probably would have looked for his own shot first because he is a shoot-first point guard. But it's just the balance of it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like he was hot as I don't know what in the first half. Yep. And I think he felt that he had to keep staying hot because – the Suns were probably built up to a 20-point lead. But, you know, great point guards, they have a balance with that. And then Brunson is still young. He's still learning. And then trust me, I'm not hitting on Brunson. I think he's a tremendous player. But I'm saying in order to win, right, you got to be able to do those things. We're seeing the same stuff that's happening right now in Cleveland. Like with Donovan Mitchell and, and Garland. Like to me, they don't match. They don't match. And, and look, Donovan Mitchell might be having a great statistical year, but look at their record. It's up and down like a roller coaster. And a lot of it falls on him. 
He's got big guys that can score the ball, but they don't get it to him. Yep. And to me, if you don't feed your big guy, then he's not protecting you. He's not rebounding. He's not getting you open. All those things historically has happened. It ain't start with Julius Randle. I'm not going to name names. <laughs> this has been going on forever. If you don't feed them dudes and, 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 and so they can eat, they're not going to do some of those things. And he has to understand that. Yeah. Well, we saw Nurkic engaged last night at the Garden. I thought he had a pretty good night against wow. Mitchell Robinson and those guys. Uh, Keith talked about Donovan Mitchell. Uh, Eddie mentioned him. That's certainly one of the guys that the Knicks have been after aggressively uh, a couple summers ago. So much noise around Joel Embiid. So that leads us to our segment here where we go stargazing. We're going stargazing with the Knicks. We know the Knicks have plenty of trade ammunition to be in on star players around the league. And Keith, you had a report a few weeks ago about the Knicks being willing to offer certain uh, packages or certain items in a package for Joel Embiid. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the, the Knicks, um, you know, Julius Randle, um, Evan Fournier, um, you know, two of the names that they came out, um, Mitchell Robinson, and um, the guy's name escapes me right now, the, the, the dude from Duke, the, the two guard. RJ. RJ Barrett. Yeah, RJ Barrett. So, like, you know, right now, I don't think that that will get it done. Now, again, it's not like the Knicks are calling the 76ers and saying, hey, look, take these dudes now. What it is is if Joel Embiid decides that he wants to become, he wants to be traded at the end of the season, over the summer, heading into next summer, the Knicks have that have a package available to whereas they can make a move. Those are the guys. Now, Will that get it done? Probably not. But at the same time, Eddie knows he's played that a lot of times when you become a player and people assume that you want to be traded, it kind of lowers your value a little bit. So teams say, well, let's just go get what we can get right now. Of course, right now, the Sixers are saying they're not interested in that or, or, or this and that. But again, you know, you have to look at it that, there will be the, the Knicks will be a major player if Joel Embiid becomes available, and and maybe also Miami. So those are the things. That, and again, it's not on paper. People are going to say it's not a good deal. But I'm with you guys. I like Julius Randle's game. I just feel like that Julius Randle needs to bring it more so he has to stop getting upset at times yeah. but i do think that he's a a, a pretty good player a, a, a good player um he's an all-star but but at the same time i i just feel as if he needs to bring it like i said but in regards to that move with the with the sixers and all that this is just what they have available it's not going to happen in february it's, it's just going to be something that that what they have on their roster that they're you know, um, willing to part ways with to get Joel Embiid. Yeah, and it, it's all about, I think, what happens in May and maybe June with the Sixers. I mean, that's really what you're looking at here because in the wake of your report, I went in and checked in um, over with some people around Joel in that situation because over the summer they had said they Joel had told them that they were he was committed to staying in Philly and wanting to be there, wanting to be there for the rest of his career and. I checked in after your report, and I don't think anything had changed with that regard. But you're not going to see Joel Embiid 
change in that regard until and unless things don't go well in the playoffs because that's the time that he would make that decision. With regards to the package, again, I, I think that that would have been a light offer depending on the draft picks when you're looking at what Philly could get for a player like Embiid. I don't think it, w- it was taken seriously just by the people who I, I spoke to. Um, so I think the Knicks would have to, to come with a lot more there. Uh, but when you look at you know, the pantheon of big names, Eddie, around the league, the Donovan Mitchells, the Joel Embiid's, and and now we're looking at, you know, Zach uh, Vine in Chicago and Tamar DeRozan. There's players who could be on the move. Do you see a, a fit for this Nick roster that you look at and you say, that's who they have to go get? That's the missing piece. You know, it depends on who they trade away, obviously, in any deal. But there's there a player out there where you say, this is the guy. This is the guy that's going to take them to the next level. Nah, I mean, you know what? It's, it's weird. Like, um, if I, I, I feel like if if you had if 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 you had like if Jalen, like let's say if Brunson was available and you can get a point guard who can get the ball to certain people and can get his own shots, yeah. But but here's the problem with the Sixers right now. The Sixers don't even know what they had, right? You look at Tyrese Maxey. And, and you see that he's ascending, but he has to continue to ascend for you to be able to determine what you need and what you don't need. You understand what I'm saying? You need yep. him to ascend. You you can't really make a decision um, uh, until that happens, right? Um, because beforehand, you were saying you needed a guard who can get buckets, who can score. But as long as Tyrese Maxey continues to produce in big moments, then you're saying you need somebody who can be a three and D somebody who can be a quality defender because right now Maxi is being attacked by other elite guards. So you need somebody to help that out. So again, that's not something that that's going to be figured out before. I mean, figured out now because a lot of people were saying Zach Levine early on. I don't yeah. think that Zach Levine would fit in that system with Maxi and MB. They need they need more of a team guy, not someone who's going to come in there and be a mercenary. And that's not a knock against him, but it's just that how many shots are people going to take? And and then you're going to have bad body language and everything like that. So I, I don't see it right now. I, I, I don't. Um, but again, it is a long season. You know, the, the mm. 70s been a little low right now and, and it will guys will announce themselves to us, you know, later on what they really need. Yeah, yeah, I think – do you hear me now? I, I kind of lost my volume. But uh, mm-hmm. I think Joel Embiid is really enjoying being an MVP and lifting guys up. Like, that's that to me reminds me of the great MVPs of the past and then obviously right now with Jokic and how he's gotten a lot of credit for uplifting the guys around him. And you see Embiid happy with getting eight, nine assists. Got me got that the other night. You're seeing the fact that Tyrese Maxey has improved under his in his leadership. What about Kelly Oubre coming over and doing what he was doing early? You remember mm-hmm. Tobias Harris was complaining that he wasn't getting touches, that he wasn't getting consistency. He's having one of his best years over the last number of years. So I think, Joel, it's going to be hard to pry Joel away unless they really totally tank again in the playoffs. But I think right now, He's having another MVP season, and he's uplifting the guys around him. And I think from a player perspective, 
that's what you want. Because you got to remember, he's had a lot of drama around him. Even though Jimmy Butler's a tremendous player, that was drama, right? Harden, drama. Now he's not having that drama. He is the chief in charge, and they're rallying around him. And you can just see the confidence level in him as a player. And so for me, I don't care who shows up on that team now. Uh, I think his leader, he's become a better leader now since the Ben Simmons situation. And I think now he understands what he has to do. And so I think it's going to be hard to pry him away. I, I, I do. I, I think, yeah, New York is probably a place where he would probably want to go if he left uh, because he is polarized and he loves the attention. But, man, it's going to be hard to get him away from that situation now just based on the guys that surround him. Eddie, I'm going to ask you to put your GM hat on for a second because Leon Rose and, and their group have some big decisions to make moving forward here. Uh, I think that you know owner James Dolan, Governor James Dolan's on the record as saying he brought Leon Rose here because Leon Rose could get the top talent. So the in, inference is Leon Rose has to get a top star at some point. When you If you take Embiid off the list, as you look at the landscape of this league, do you see a guy out there where you say if he's available – this is the perfect fit for this Nick team to take them to the next level. The problem with going to play in New York, and trust me, I wish I could have played there, man. I, I I really do because, I mean, I was – I ain't packed myself, but I wasn't afraid. But honestly, yep. a lot of guys don't want to play in New York, man. Yeah. Like, a lot of guys don't want that heat. It's a lot of guys don't can't take that criticism. Like, we're right now covering a quiet league, man. Like, yep. these players, man, are introverts. Like, they don't talk. They mm-hmm. don't talk. They don't have – I mean, in the age of internet and, and social networking, these guys, they don't like to embrace that situation. Mm-hmm. And to, it kind of limits what the Knicks can get in regards to that. And so then when they do see somebody like I.E. Donovan Mitchell that's obviously throwing his name around with New York all the time, uh, yeah, they have to try to seize that opportunity. But there's not many guys want that heat, man. Like, And that shocks me, right? Because, come on, man, it's just basketball. You get criticized, you get criticized. But a lot of guys don't want to handle that heat, man. Brunson wanted that heat. I mean, he yeah. wanted to go. Obviously, he's got his dad over there to kind of, you know, coddle him and take care of him as he goes along, too. But still, you know, some guys don't want that heat, man. Eddie, what what separates the guys like yourself who would embrace it and would deal with it and, and perform compared to the guys who would shy away from it? What do you think separates the two? The problem is, the problem is it goes back to AEU. Like, you know, when I came up and played, uh, you know, we didn't have yes men around us. And our coaches ripped the stew out of us. Our college coaches ripped us because we were in college. <laughs> Like, we went to college these two to three, four years, right? So we got disciplined. Like, we had a guy above us that controlled us and didn't let us get away with stuff. These kids now, they come into the NBA as teenagers, and the people that really coached them when they were younger was yes men, was guys trying to get them into new it. And so they never really got that discipline. And so now they get to this point where people criticizing them and people going at them, they have a hard time dealing with it. So I don't blame it all on them. I think it's just the environment of how they grew up. And so they're very shy when it comes to that. And some of them, won't. they don't want that heat. A lot of guys in the league that do. Don't get me wrong. 
I mean, the Devin Bookers, the Jason Tatums of the world, please, they want that heat. Donovan Mitchell wants that heat. A lot of guys that want it, uh, but some guys don't. And I think that hurts New York, right? A lot of ways it helps New York to be the mecca of basketball and the place you want to play. But the other part is the heat that you take, right? And that goes for them. That goes for the Lakers. That goes for Boston. Like, you really have to be thick-skinned to want to play in those places because of the expectations. I would throw Eddie. I don't know if you would, but I would throw Philly in there too because that's a market yeah. where you have to perform. You got to perform. I and, agree. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a factor for the Knicks in terms of how they look at players. You have to take a look at that aspect. Now, I want to switch gears here, guys, because this play-in, uh, excuse me, in-season tournament that we're in the middle of here Tuesday. The Knicks have an in-season game. I think the Sixers do too. I'm not sure. The Suns. I would think they do too. Hey, Keith, how, like, Keith, I'll start with you. How, what do you think about this thing? Is it going to work? Is it not going to work? Where are you on it? I mean, I like it. And the Sixers are done, so they're sitting back waiting, hoping that the Knicks and other people lose so Mm -hmm. they can uh, go on. But you know what? I like it. I'm going to be honest with you. Initially, I didn't like it. I thought it was a joke, you know, when it first came out. But, but then I noticed that teams are playing harder in these in-season tournament games, right? Now, you take the floor out of it, but but I, I noticed that teams are being more physical with Joel Embiid. You know, they, they, they're play, everybody's playing harder. It reminds you it's not quite a playoff game, but it's, it's closer to a playoff game than just a regular season game in November. You, you know what I mean? And and so I like it. I honestly like it. And it's, it's also, it's funny, you know, there's a team, the Indiana Pacers in the East. No one gave them credit, but look at them. They're 3-0. and They're one of the top teams in here. And and to me, it, it, it's a way of a team to announce themselves, uh, do a lot of things. I'm a big fan of the end season tournament. And I'll be honest with you, I hated it when it first came out. Like, I thought it was a joke. But I'm a big fan because the players seem to be playing so much harder. Yeah, I experienced it when I, I, I took a break from the NBA in uh, the mid-'90s, and I went and played over in Greece. And they had their in-season tournaments over there. I didn't understand it until they thoroughly explained it to me, and then I, I totally loved it. Uh, and, look, people try to – you know, people always look at how much money players make. And I say you all, but people in general. And yeah. so when the in-season tournament came out and they said, well, the winning the winning players will get a half a million dollars, we like, oh, that, that guy doesn't want that. Really? Stop. Stop. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know the deals these dudes got. Like, trust me, it's some guys, believe it or not, in this league living pe- paycheck to paycheck. You all wouldn't yeah. believe that, but they are. Yeah. And so – a half a million dollars is a lot of damn money, okay? And so that's a carrot. The other carrot is the love of the game. Like, and knowing that maybe your team doesn't have a chance to get to the finals and win a championship, but you can go win an in-season tournament championship, and you can go to Vegas for a few days and be the, be the lights of the city, and then everybody's watching you and your team. Man, it comes down to the love of the game. And players might say what they want to say. But when you get between those lines, man, and you love it, you want to win. Like, you want to be a part of it. So I've always felt that they would turn it on once they got into it. And they have. 
And guess what? These guys at the end of these benches in the NBA, that's not making it. You got two, three guys making all the money on every team. These mm-hmm. other guys, they make they, they, they want some money, and they don't have – they're not making $20 million a year. And so, right. to me, I thought the NBA did great by doing that, and I think it's been tremendous. You see, like, Devin Booker uh, the other day, he kept playing against Memphis, and he threw a three in at the end. Normally, you dribble it out, but that three that he hit probably will get the Suns into the play, into the quarterfinal. Right. So, I mean, these guys are cognizant of it, and they really want to, to achieve something in it. Come on, man. You know they want to go to Vegas. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie, do you want to go to Vegas? I think, I think that's my follow-up question. I might go. The Suns are there. I, I might go because we're not going to telecast it. So, but I still might go watch. Yeah. <laughs> now, I got to ask Eddie you a question specifically about one Nick because Emmanuel quickly, he's a guy who scores the basketball. Uh, he seems like just a spark plug for New York when he has it going well, and he has often early this year. What do you see from him? How do you evaluate him as a player? He embraces the six-man role like he's supposed to. Like, a lot of guys, they can't embrace it, especially from a scoring perspective, where he comes in and he's not trying to feel his way into the game. He jumps right into it. And that's what a six-man is supposed to do that's counted on for his offense. You can't just get in the game and try to gradually work your way into the flow. No, no. You got to go for it immediately, and he does. And I thought last night he was huge. For the Knicks, I mean, you know, you know, Brunson's going to get his, Randall's going to get his, but quickly was the one who's hitting the threes and very aggressive. So I picked him for six man this year. Uh, I think you know he has a tremendous chance to win it, uh, and he he epitomizes what a six man is. So without a doubt, I enjoy really watching him play. And Keith, uh, just to switch gears for you momentarily, when you look at the Boston's and the Milwaukee's, and then you look at the team you cover, the team I cover, I see, even when you look at the trade deadline here, Philly's going to be right there for any player on the market because they have the assets now. They also have the cap space to make something happen. How aggressive do you think they would be in season to, to make a big move uh, to try to, you know, ensure that they're up there with the Bostons and the Milwaukee's at the end of the season. I mean, I think they're going to be aggressive, but but I also think that I mean, if you if you look at the Sixers now and they keep like doing different lineups, different rotations, I, I think it, it all depends on who they have and what they think they can, you know, they can go with. Like, you know, a guy like Nick Batum, I, I feel it's going to be hard for them to get rid of him. I mean, he's been playing well. Um, but again, Maxi, I think if Maxi ascends, then then they'll get someone. But but I think it may be a little different. Now here here's a you know they're the Toronto Raptors, right? They got several players who the Sixers would love to have, right? Mm-hmm. I mean OG Obinobi, um, uh, Pascal Siakam. But at the same time, do you see Toronto saying, okay, we'll just give it to you uh, for, for 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 guys? with these expiring contracts. Like, I, I just don't see it. They're going to want more. And, and yes, the Sixers have draft picks, but so does other teams out there. So, I mean, when you look at the 76ers, you know, they they played the Milwaukee Bucks early on before they made the trade. They lost by a point, right? They were getting blown out. And then they realized, like, you know what? 
we can play with this team. And they came back, right? They played the Boston Celtics early on. They beat them the first time, and then they lost um, a close one to the second one. So when you look at the Sixers, while they don't have the star power as those other two teams, you can make an argument that they're deeper than those two teams, right? Now, so right now, they like what they have, but they do have to tinker. It's just a matter of what they're willing to give up. And let's face it, people know what they're willing to give up, and they're going to want more. They're going to want more because they know the Sixers are, are going to try to, um, you know, get a championship. But let me ask you all this, though. Can I ask you all? Because yeah, I, yeah. I got to give this guy his respect. Like, we're just overlooking Tobias Harris. Like, I mean, like, this guy's a max yeah. player. Yeah. And he yeah. hasn't lived up to it until now. Like, he's shooting 54%. He's averaging close to 20 points a game. And he's getting, what, around, what, six rebounds a game right now? Like, for me... You're not finding anybody that's going to give you much more than what he's giving. I don't care if he's better than Tobias Harris because of what Joel and Tyrese Maxey is producing every night. Like, mm-hmm. Joel's averaging 32, Maxey's averaging 26. So you, how are you going to find somebody to come in there that's a start? They just got rid of a guy like that, okay, in, in James Harden. Okay, mm-hmm. so now – you have a guy like Tobias Harris that's playing like all-star basketball right now, and he was considered that. That's how they paid him, and now you still look like. To me, I don't see that. I see them maybe adding ancillary pieces to their team now, but for me, I think they're good enough to beat anybody in the East. I don't think they need to go get a Levine or they need to get another guy. They should be used to – they should understand it doesn't work. Like, Joel has a hard time playing with two other stars. He couldn't do it with Butler. He couldn't do it with Simmons. So why do – if you're Philadelphia, you're like – if you're Daryl Moore, you're like, you know, get off that train of how you think, man, and try to keep putting players around him. I think that's going to be the secret for them. Eddie, do you feel the same way about the Knicks? Do you think with what they have – they are one of those top teams in the East. They could compete with the Bostons and the Milwaukee's, or do you think they actually need to upgrade somewhere? I just think the Knicks' problem, they're too small uh, at the at the really important positions. Like, Brunson, did you see him on the floor at the end of the game last night? No. Mm-hmm. But they don't mm-hmm. trust the defense. Like, if you're the best player and they're subbing you out at the end, what does that make you? Like, it's saying that you do have some faults. And normally the great, the best player on your team is probably on the floor at all times. And I just think, like, as good as he is, I just think that I don't know if he is the one, like, because he needs help. He needs a two-guard next to him that's really a two-guard. Like, and it's hard to find those guys, but somebody – like, uh, I don't know, a shade and sharp in Portland. Somebody six 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 seven that gives them balance. That's what I don't understand the Donovan Mitchell dynamic. I just don't. It is too small. They take Donovan Mitchell out of the games in Cleveland for defense. I mean, like, so where is your defense going to come from? Your scoring is going to be great. 
but where's your defense going to come from? Like in Atlanta, they got Deontay Murray alongside Trey Young. They can kind of get away with it because Murray can guard. He can go over the point. He can He's so versatile. He can do a lot of things, right? And so for me, it's just their size. I know Mitchell Robinson is tremendous. I really like him. I wish the man come to my I, – I'll, I'll, look, I ain't, he ain't got to pay me. I know I can improve them damn free throws, okay? Come on, man. Like, nobody should be shooting 37% from free throw line. I don't care, okay? So, for me, I just think their size issue. Like, Randall's an undersized power pull defensively, right. right? So, it's like they got to find a way to get better size, man. That, that's They got tough guys. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Brunson's tough. Randall's tough. But when you have a limitation on size, it can bother you. And I thought the Suns bothered them with their size in the first half last night. Just dominated yeah. on the glass. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to leave it there. But before we wrap up, uh, Leon Rose, Richard Robinson, somebody call Eddie, get him out there in the summer, get him to Eddie. Eddie will work on And I'm not just talking for myself. Dale Curry, Dale Ellis, Ricky Pierce, Steve Nang, anybody that shot in the 80s with form can help him. Now, I don't. I don't know who's not helping them on the Knicks and who's their best free throw shooter. But if I was that guy, man, I would be in the gym with that guy every day, man. Because if he can learn to shoot free throws, he can turn into a monster for them. Because a lot of his hesitation is because he can't shoot free throws. Yeah, he. I mean, he changes the game in so many different ways. But that is that is certainly one where I'm sure everybody involved would like him to improve, including himself. But we'll, we'll wrap there, fellas. I really appreciate you guys joining us this week. Keith Pompey, Philadelphia Inquirer, does a great job with the 76ers. Nick fans, you're going to want to keep an eye on his work throughout the year. And, Eddie, we love having you on. We thank you so much for your time. Obviously, keep an ear out for Eddie and Justin Termini on Sirius XM NBA Radio every day. They do a great job covering the league, including the Knicks. We will be back with you on the putback. Next week, December 7th at noon, we'll be breaking things down, Knicks, NBA, and everything else. We look forward to seeing you then. All right. Keith, Billy is my favorite team, bro. Okay.